0: Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. The show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea
1: Hubbard, and today is Saturday, June 3rd, 2023. It's been 3,384 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 465 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, This podcast contains frank descriptions of war and its effects and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, in preparation for larger offensive operations, Ukrainian forces continue shaping operations on multiple axes, creating panic and uncertainty among Gauleiters, Russian administrators, and military leaders. Second, We maintain that the continued incursions into the Bilgorod region along a 187-kilometer stretch of the Russia-Ukraine border are meant to force the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, to move military assets out of Ukraine to secure the region. Third, current weather models indicate soil conditions are improving faster than originally forecasted and tractability will become favorable for large-scale military operations by June 4th. We've identified shaping activity by the Ukrainian armed forces in four locations that could indicate a larger attack is being prepared. Fifth, in our assessment, while point attacks continue in the Dvorichna and Marinka operational areas, Russian forces have lost the battlefield initiative and continue to move to a defensive posture. Sixth, Anger and frustration among Russian state media propagandists, mill bloggers, and residents of the oblasts that border Ukraine continues to expand, with open discussions on Russian state media and social media about replacing Russian President Vladimir Putin, questioning Russian nuclear doctrine and the repeated irresponsible threats, and widespread criticism of Moscow's inability to secure Russian borders and airspace. Seventh, Political infighting between the Russian MOD, Chechen leaders, and private military company or PMC Wagner Group continues to escalate, negatively impacting Russian combat operations throughout the theater of war. Eighth, the same public infighting confirmed our October 2022 assessment that Chechen Ahmad and Rosgardia are combat destroyed. Colonel General Ramzan Kadyrov claims there are 7,000 Chechens in Ukraine less than 25% of their peak combat strength in May 2022. Ninth, We maintain that Russian Chief of Staff Valery Gerasimov and Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu are some of the best allies available for the Ukrainian MOD due to their acceptance of systemic corruption, political infighting, waste of military resources, and straight-up refusal to adapt to the realities within the theater of war. And finally, we maintain that the less-than-acceptable performance of Russian air defenses in Moscow puts unpopular general of the army, Sergei Sorovykin at risk of dismissal. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. In the Dvorichna operational area, Ukrainian sources and Russian mercenary millblogger Horganzo reported continued fighting in the area of Masyutivka, with no change in the situation. The Russian Air Force, or VKS, dropped two Fab 500 SE UPMK glide bombs on Kivsharivka, which is on the east bank of the Oskil River near Kupiansk, killing two pensioners and wounding four others when civilian housing was struck. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. Operational Command East, or OKE, spokesperson Colonel Serhiy Cherevati said that Russian forces fired 632 artillery rounds, mortars, rockets, drone-delivered IEDs and bombs, and Russian Army Aviation and VKS carried out one airstrike from Dvorichna to Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk. In the Svatova operational area, Ukrainian sources and Wargonzo reported that Russian forces, up to a company in size, tried to advance on Novoselivsk and I think you know what I'm going to say. They suffered heavy losses and returned to their defensive positions. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that there was fighting in Kuzimivka and that Ukrainian forces were able to repel the Russian advance. In the Kramina operational area, the GSAFU reported that a Russian advance in the direction of Makievka was repulsed, NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS, indicated thermal anomalies on the eastern edge of the settlement. In the Lysychansk operational area, the GSAFU reported that Russian forces continued their attacks on Bilohorivka, the same one we talked about before, supported by the VKS. The GSAFU and Wargonzo both reported that Russian forces failed to advance. In occupied Luhansk, The former so-called Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Control and Coordination announced that, effective yesterday, they would no longer report on alleged, quote, war crimes within occupied Luhansk. The self-declared acting leader of the former LNR, Leonid Pasechnik, is leading the final steps of integrating occupied Luhansk into the Russian government structure. (laughs) In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, the GSAFU reported that Russian forces made multiple attempts to advance further into Svirne, supported by the VKS, suffered losses and returned to their defensive positions. In the Bakhmut operational area, Colonel Cherevati of OKE reported that PMC Wagner troop rotations to regular Russian forces and territorial guard units of the so called Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, continued in Bakhmut, with artillery duels also continuing. So, Chechen forces have arrived in the Bakhmut operational area, and the TikTok battalion is back in business and totally ignoring operational security, also called OPSEC. Chechen soldiers recorded themselves driving a convoy in a salt mine and the route taken to a supply node within the mine. I'm not kidding. At least they didn't show the thoroughly geolocatable exterior of the entrance of the mine. No, no, wait, sorry. They did exactly that. PMC Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin said, quote, At the moment, on June 2nd, almost all 99% of the Wagner-PMC units left Bakhmut. All positions have been handed over to the Ministry of Defense. End quote. Prigozhin then accused the Russian MOD of attempting to ambush withdrawing pmz Wagner mercenaries while clearly stating that Ukrainian forces didn't interfere with troop rotations. Quote, There are no provocations against us from the side of the armed forces of Ukraine. However, it should be noted that surprises were waiting for us from the other side. He means Russia. Shortly before our departure, we detected suspicious activity along our route. We found about a dozen places where various explosive devices were placed, ranging from hundreds of anti-tank mines to tons of plastid. That's an explosive like C4. Those who laid these charges were representatives of the Ministry of Defense. When asked why they did it, they pointed their fingers up, meaning they were following orders. It can be assumed that they wanted to meet the advancing units of PMC Wagner with these charges. End quote. Some assessment? Yevgeny Prigozhin continues to push the boundaries of his already broken relationship with the Russian MOD, but silencing him will be highly problematic due to his now rising political star. We've previously assessed that the surviving Wagnerites are loyal to Yevgeny Prigozhin and not the Russian Federation. This has been partly caused because Russian mercenaries and paid volunteers have not been given a clear justification for the Russian war of aggression in Ukraine military objectives, and what the exit looks like. While patriotism and nationalism can compel recruitment, without these clear goals, mercenaries ultimately fight for money and are loyal to the organization paying them. The the stab-in-the-back message has been powerful historically, and Prigozhin is using the same propaganda tools he used in dis- and misinformation campaigns in the United States to foment discontent with the Kremlin while maintaining the appearance of the so-called everyman who respects Russian institutions as they stand today. In southwest Donetsk, on the Tavria Front, Ukrainian General Alexander Tarnovsky, commander of the Operational Strategic Group of the Tavria Front, reported that Ukrainian forces carried out 887 fire missions on the southwest Donetsk axis. Some assessment. The day before, Ukrainian forces carried out over 950 fire missions. This sharp increase in fire missions is part of ongoing shaping operations for the looming offensive. In the Avdiivka operational area, Orgonzo reported that Ukrainian and Russian forces engaged in harassment near Opitne. Quick sidebar. In this context, harassment, also known as harassment fire, is when artillery and or small arms fire is made on the enemy intending to disrupt their operations while not committing significant resources and with no other military objective. In the Marinka operational area, Chechen forces of the Ahmad 54th Motor Rifle Brigade and the Russian 5th Motor Rifle Brigade of the 1st Army Corps, supported by the VKS, continued their attacks on Marinka and continued to be unsuccessful. In the Wuhledar operational area, Wargonzo reported that Ukrainian forces made incremental gains northeast of Volodymyrivka near the quarry. We didn't adjust the line of conflict on the war map, but we did move the
0: grey area further south based on terrain analysis. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News.
1: Moving on to Zaporizhia. Russian forces conducted 106 fire missions, three drone attacks and two airstrikes on free Zaporizhia, targeting 24 settlements along the line of conflict and killing two civilians. In Occupied Mikhailovka, Russian collaborator, disinformation enthusiast, and Occupied Zaporizhia administrator Vladimir Rogov reported two Russian collaborators were wounded and collaborator Sergei Gidovodyu was killed. Ukrainian sources claim four people were in the car and all the occupants were killed. However, at the time of recording, we can only verify Gidovodyu was killed in the blast. Insurgents in Mariupol recorded civilian trucks full of half-height dragon's teeth reportedly bound for Polokhi. The Defense Intelligence Directorate of the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine, or GUR, reported that up to 150,000 Russian troops—that's almost half of the entire deployment within Ukraine—are in occupied Zaporizhia. The troops are scattered in over 100 locations, according to online investigators. Russian commanders have been convinced that Ukraine will make a push toward Melitopol to cut the land bridge between Donetsk and the Crimean Peninsula. Some assessment here. Russian milbloggers have been convinced since October 2022 that Ukraine will launch a larger offensive operation from Juliapola in this direction and over the summer of 2022, Ukrainian forces engaged in what appeared to be shaping operations to the northwest of the Russian-occupied city, which ended in July. Twenty-four hours after insurgents posted a video and pictures of port operations in Berdyansk showing Russian air defense systems and military cargo being unloaded, three Storm Shadow cruise missiles struck the area, causing multiple explosions. It was the first time the port was used for delivering military cargo since the March 24, 2022 sinking of the Russian Large Landing Ship or LLS Saratov by a Ukrainian Tachki U short range ballistic missile or SRBM. Other vessels in the port set to sea immediately after the strike. Russian collaborator Ragov reported nine were hospitalized and an unspecified number were killed. Oleg Kulikov, the head of the State Atomic Energy Regulatory Authority of Ukraine, said that Russian occupiers at Zaporizhia Nuclear Power Plant, or ZNPP, continue to exert intense pressure on the remaining Ukrainian personnel. He claimed that Russian officials continue to use intimidation, warrantless searches of homes, and isolation. If the remaining employees try to leave for free Ukraine, they are not permitted to leave and face property seizure. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, released an update on the status of ZNPP and accused Russian occupation forces of not adhering to the previously agreed-to five-point safety plan. IAEA Director General Rafael Grossi said that the on-site inspectors were permitted to visit the 750-kilovolt switchyard, the only backup power source to the plant. The situation was worse than expected. Three of the power lines remained disconnected, and Rosatom claimed some parts for repairing the connections were being manufactured with no known delivery date. IAEA inspectors have still not been permitted to inspect the adjacent Zaporizhia Thermal Power Plant, or ZTPP, 330 kilovolt switchyard, which had previously provided backup power to ZNPP. The Russian Federation reported in March that Rosatom was working to remove damaged equipment and restore the three 330-kilovolt lines to the Russian-controlled power grid. Russian officials have repeatedly promised since March that the IAEA monitors would be able to visit the site to see proof of ongoing progress and evaluate the situation. Director General Grossi said, quote, our experts must access the ZTPP to see for themselves what the current situation is like and whether it might be possible to restore backup power there, end quote. IAEA inspectors also reported that two landmines exploded just outside the ZNPP site, violating the agency's five principles established between Russia and Ukraine. Grossi added, quote, As I told the United Nations Security Council just a few days ago, I respectfully and solemnly ask both sides to observe these five principles, which are essential to avoid the danger of a catastrophic incident. These principles are to no one's detriment and everyone's benefit. End quote. He also expressed concern about the May 17th disconnection of the automatic data feeds from eight radiation monitoring stations located near ZNPP, which provided data to Ukrainian authorities. Grossi said the IAEA is addressing this issue with plant management and relevant officials, adding, quote, I hope that we can re-establish a reliable connection to continue to monitor radiation levels soon. It is vital for nuclear safety and security. End quote. The IAEA also confirmed that the planned rotation of the current team of inspectors had been delayed, with Russian officials claiming the issue is due to local weather conditions. <laughs> In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykoliv, and Odessa region, Ukrainian Operational Command South, or OKS, did not report the total number of vessels of the Black Sea fleet on patrol, but did report that three frigates capable of launching up to 24-caliber cruise missiles were at sea. Russian MOD claims that the Ukrainian polnosny class amphibious landing ship Yuri Oliferenko was sunk at its berth in Odessa on May 30th could be accurate. Copernicus Sentinel-2 L2A satellite images show the outline of what appears to be a vessel of the same size and shape as the Yuri Oliferenko rolled on its port side at its berth. The resolution of the image from the LS2A is 10 meters per pixel, so it doesn't provide conclusive evidence. We will continue to monitor the situation. In western and central Ukraine... Russian forces conducted 65 fire missions on Free Kherson, firing 265 artillery rounds, mortars, grad and smirch rockets, drone-delivered IEDs and bombs, with the city of Kherson targeted five times and hit by 29 munitions, wounding five. Odrado Kamyanka was bombed by the VKS again, with a Fab 500 SE UPMK glide bomb damaging the post office, a club, a pharmacy, the city administration building, and a monument. In north and northeast Ukraine, in Sumy, Russian forces conducted 30 fire missions, firing over 180 artillery rounds, mortars, rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems, and drone-delivered IEDs. The Khotin Khomala was hit by 12 mortars in two attacks, killing a civilian and damaging a home and power lines. In the Velika Pisadivka Khomada, the region was hit by three mortars and 16 artillery shells, damaging civilian infrastructure, cars, a pharmacy, a city administration building, two homes, and a multi-story apartment building, injuring one person. A grain elevator in the Seredina Buda Khomada was also damaged. On the Russian front, in the Bilgorod operational direction, the Free Russian Legion, or FPL, and the Russian Volunteer Corps, or PVK, continued fighting against Russian nationalists in Novaya Tavolzhanka and the outskirts of Shibikino for the third day. In Novaya Tavolzhanka, cars trying to evacuate the settlement were shelled, killing two and wounding two more. Russian partisans and Russian nationalists traded accusations of targeting civilians. In Chibikino, the monocrystal plant was shelled for the second day, reigniting fires at the facility. Russian sources claimed that an FPL T-72 tank was abandoned and a second one destroyed, while PMC-Wagner Telegram channel Grayzone claimed that one of the tanks was destroyed two weeks ago. Bilgorod Regional Governor Vyacheslav Gladkov reported over 690 artillery rounds, mortars, and grad rockets fired by Multiple Launch Rocket Systems, or MLRS, struck the region. All roads to Shibikino have been closed, and bus and train service is suspended through June 30th. Murman, Novaya Tavolzhanka, Shibikino, and Leninsky were shelled, with Shibikino hit by over 370 munitions. Glodkov also reported that Maslovo-Priston, which is 18 kilometers from the Ukrainian border, was shelled. Local residents reported that wide-scale looting was ongoing. A person interviewed by Russian state media who said that looting was happening was called a, quote, fool and provocateur on air. Videos shared on social media showed that stores had been broken into and homes ransacked in areas where FPL and PVK partisans are not operating. As with most of the photos and videos we reference here on the podcast, we do link to them in our full situation report on Patreon. The FPL accused Russian nationalists of shelling civilians, declaring, quote, Putin's military continues its chaotic shelling of the Bilgorod region. In an attempt to hit our forces, the enemy, that would be the Russian nationalists, is flooding settlements with fire, disregarding civilian casualties, end quote. Russian partisans released a video of the impact of Russian nationalist attacks. We can't verify their claims, but the indiscriminate use of artillery for suppression aligns with Russian Federation military doctrine. A few hours later, the FPL claimed that Chechen forces were being deployed into the operational area, adding, Given the threat to civilians, we have agreed with the Ukrainian command to open humanitarian corridors for Belgorod residents who suffer from shelling by the regime's army. Anyone who needs assistance for voluntary consent can be evacuated deep into Ukraine to receive shelter and all necessary basic needs. End quote. In the Graivoron operational direction, Russian state media reported that a carload of Russian conscripts guarding the Russia-Ukraine border was hit by an anti-tank-guided missile, or ATGM, near Kazache rudchenskoy Four were killed and six wounded, with the group reportedly heading to a bathhouse, despite being stationed only 800 meters from the Russia-Ukraine border in an area that has experienced shelling and border skirmishes as recently as May 31st. While conscripts aren't supposed to be in Ukraine or engaged in direct combat, the Russian Ministry of Defense has been skirting its regulations by placing Mobics along border regions even though they're under fire. The dead and wounded are from the 43rd Separate Railway Brigade and the 228th Regiment. In the Voloiki urazovo operational direction, Orgonzo claimed that Russian partisans crossed the border near Topoli on the north bank of the Oskil River and engaged in a raid in the Urazovo direction. Governor Gladkov reported Sobolevka was hit by grad rockets fired by MLRS, killing three and wounding six. Orgonzo reported that Urazovo was also hit by grad rockets. Assessment here. Russian partisans have conducted raids along a 275-kilometer front from Dronovka to Lobachevka in the last 14 days, straining Russian logistics, military resources, and local government officials' ability to manage the situation. We maintain that these military actions aim to force Russia to redeploy military resources to defend its national borders. Over 90% of all Russian ground forces are deployed in or supporting the Russian Federation Armed Forces in Ukraine. With attacks continuing for the third day, the offer to provide safe harbor to Russian nationals in Ukraine, and the reported number of artillery strikes, the Kremlin is going to have an increasingly difficult time suppressing and managing the news cycle within the region. The very act of trying to suppress news on the situation indicates that the Kremlin lacks the resources to accomplish a proportional response, eliminate the partisans, and secure their borders. We do not believe that Ukraine intends to open up a wider offensive in any of these operational directions, but we do believe that these actions are part of a broader strategy and are shaping attacks designed to control not just the theater of war, but also the information space. And that's what we know. Join me
0: again on Monday for more updates.